Good morning, friends. Uh, today's message title is, It's Not My Opinion, It's What the Bible Says. It's based on um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. We'll get to that uh, in just a few moments. I'm going to confess that this uh, is probably less of a sermon than perhaps maybe just an admonition or just something that's been kind of ruminating in my heart and soul over these last months, particularly when I have uh, shared God's word with uh, people or groups and um, people said, well, that's not my opinion. And I say, I would keep saying, well, it's not my opinion either. It's what the Bible says. I want to start with this. Not long ago, as I was kind of going through the uh, to some church websites, I read this portion of a what we believe on one church's site. They wrote, we believe that all the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are verbally inspired of God, and they are without error in the original writings, and they are the supreme and final authority for faith and life. Now, as statements of faith go, that's completely unexceptional. I mean, hundreds of churches and ministries have similar statements about the divine inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. But it's that last phrase that caught my attention, that phrase that says, the Bible is the supreme and final authority for faith and life. Well, friends, if you're an evangelical Christian, that's the kind of statement you might read a hundred times and not think much about it because we kind of take it for granted. I mean, the Bible comes from God. God's the ultimate authority. Therefore, the Bible is our final authority. This means that in a world of competing truth claims uh, for the Christian, the Bible is the Supreme Court. Uh, we study and learn from history, tradition, and human wisdom, but in the end, we believe the Bible speaks with divine authority. What the Bible says, God says, and this is not a small issue. The modern evangelical movement uh, was born out of a, the fundamentalist modernist controversy <clears throat> in the early 1900s, in which every major Protestant denomination was torn apart by a struggle between liberals and conservatives, even as it is today. If you read the history books, you'll discover that the liberals won every battle. They won in the Methodist Church, Baptist Church, Presbyterians, Episcopals, Congregationals, and, and they even split the Lutheran Church. Slowly but surely, the liberals, aided by the compromising moderates, drove the conservatives out of power. Now, I want to make this note. By conservative, I mean those who hold this traditional view, that we believe that all scripture of the Old and New Testaments are verbally inspired of God, and they are without error in the original writings, and they are the supreme and final authority for faith and life. Now, looking back on those days, we can see clearly there was really only one issue at stake, and it's this. Is the Bible the word of God, and will we insist that our pastors preach the divine inspiration of the Bible? Everything else was secondary. Even the creation-evolution debate ultimately came down to the question of whether or not Christians would believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis uh, are literally true. Modernists answered no. The fundamentalists or the biblicists said, yeah, it's true. Well, in this day of enlightened skepticism, when unbelief seems to be on the march, we all have to face this difficult question. Will we believe the Bible, all of it, every word, from first to last, and everything in between. You know, our spiritual ancestors had no problem answering yes to that question, but today it seems that we struggle mightily with it, and that controversy continues to our present day. 
Now, with that as a background and using some words, Paul is our guide, I want to answer uh, just one, uh, ask and answer one very important question, and that is, what does it mean to believe the Bible? You know, it's one thing to say you believe the Bible. <clears throat> it's another thing to live that out on a daily basis. So what do we mean when we say that we believe the Bible? Well, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 to 16, suggests three answers to that question. Answer number one, believing the Bible means accepting its authority in every area of life. Paul writes here, and we thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now, Paul uses two words here to explain what he means. Uh, the first word is received. You received the word of God. That's the hearing of the ear. It's objective. It's like signing a receipt at the post office so you can pick up a package. Paul means that the Thessalonians listened intently to the message he preached because they knew it came not from man, but from God. The second word is accepted. You accepted it as the word of God. That word means to welcome a visitor into your home. This is the hearing of the heart. It's subjective. See, it's one thing to listen to a sermon. It's something else to welcome God's message into your heart and let it transform your life. This explains why some people can come to church for 60-plus years or more <clears throat> and never be changed. We've all known lifelong church members who were just as grouchy and greedy and mean-spirited at the end as they were at the beginning. They plopped in the pew and received the word week after week, but never accepted it as God's message for them. So they were never really changed on the inside. The focus here for believers is crucial. You heard the message from man, but you recognized that it came from God. In other words, you heard from us, that's the human side, God's message, that's the divine side. So you responded not as if it were the opinion of man, but as it was actually God's word. See, if the Bible is the word of God, then it is utterly and completely authoritative. That's why the debate over the nature of the Bible is so crucial. I mean, if the Bible is only the word of man, then it's changeable, it's fickle, it's unreliable. But if the Bible truly is the word of God, then it is utterly and completely authoritative. If God has spoken in the Bible, then what he says has final claim on my life, your life, everybody's life. Let me summarize this point with two simple statements. Statement number one, if the Bible comes from man, then we are entitled to sit in judgment on it. And second, if the Bible comes from God, we must bow in submission to it. This leads to a crucial question. What do you, what do you believe about the Bible? Does it come from man or from God? Is it on the level with the daily newspaper or does it speak with divine authority? Well, friends, if you say it is the word of God, then you must also say that it is not simply one message among many. It's not like the Republican, the Democratic platforms that came about through debate and consensus. If the Bible is the word of God, it is utterly exclusive in its claims. It does not beg for our approval. The word of God is not like the first draft of a term paper you ever wrote where you kind of hand it into the professor and say, so what do you think? Friends, God never asks us to correct the scriptures. 
he never asks us to review Isaiah and make a few changes. And he won't buy, abide by those who add to or take from the book of Revelation. i got to tell you, messing with the biblical narrative is a dangerous activity. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Revelation 22, verses 18 to 20. And I'm going to read here from the King James, the New King James Version. It says, For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I can remember a number of years ago, a church going through a difficult controversy. Nobody could really agree on anything. At a business meeting one night, the various factions were arguing when the pastor stood and read a passage of Scripture. An old man stood up then and said, Mr. Chairman, I move that the Bible stand approved as read. But so it must be for us. The Bible stands approved as read without correction, without change, without deletion, without addition. If you think about it, Christians believe something very profound and fundamentally very radical. <clears throat> in this age of moral and spiritual anarchy, we believe there is a God in heaven who has spoken to the human race. God has spoken and he has not stuttered. He spoke and made himself clear in his word, the Bible. It works this way. We believe in authority and we prize individual freedom. Christians believe in a supreme being who dictates our words and deeds. Now, to modern ears, this concept sounds outrageously autocratic. Some folks believe they should enjoy unlimited freedom. They believe that you should be able to choose when to die, you know, euthanasia, or when to terminate a birth, abortion, or practice same-sex relationships, homosexual, homosexuality, and on and on. But for the Christian, freedom is not an end in itself. Unfettered individualism can mean greed and selfishness, the, the evasion of personal responsibility, the destruction of the family. Christians believe that from an all-powerful authority stems a clear system of judgment which teaches that there is a right and there is a wrong. Now, the serpent's first attack in the Garden of Eden came at precisely this point. He challenged Eve with this question in Genesis 3, verse 1. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, the church must once again declare the truth of God with boldness. One reason God has used Billy Graham and others like him so greatly has been his constant repetition of this phrase, the Bible says. Friends, to a world that rejects authority, the church must declare the authority of God. The world says we want freedom. We want to be able to do what we want to do. And God says, if you want freedom, obey my word. We must proclaim the truth of God even to those who reject it because it is the truth that ultimately sets men free. This much we already know, but I want you to ponder the last phrase of verse 13. It says, which is at work in you who believe. Here Paul ties the power of the word of God to the response of a believing heart. Those last four words, which is at work. Did you get that? The word works. There is power in the word of God when its divine authority is accepted in a believing heart. The word works is like our English word energy. I mean, in other words, the word is energized within us as we believe it. It's like farmland that bears a rich harvest. It's like a gold mine that delivers great riches. It's like an investment that pays a huge dividend. And that's good news. 
when we hear the message outwardly and welcome it inwardly, when we allow God's word to rule over every area of our lives, it energizes us and produces a wonderful harvest. Simply put, the word works. Or as my friend Dr. Harry Went has said so often, work the word and the word will work you. Now, friends, I was raised in a Lutheran church and attended a Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, Lutheran college, where I heard a great deal about the Bible, but I never really knew or learned how to study it on my own. Perhaps I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. But it was some years later, actually when I was first teaching, that I began to seriously read and study the Bible on my own. It was then that I began to write down answers to questions like, what is this text saying, and how does it apply to my life? And it's been recently, again, that I have discovered a wonderful daily devotion written by Tim Keller. It's called The Songs of Jesus, or Jesus' Songs. And at the end, he says that as you read these psalms, the songs that Jesus probably would have sung in the synagogue, you should ask yourself, think about three words, adore, admit, and aspire. To adore, what did you learn about God for which you should praise or thank him? To admit, what did you learn about yourself for which you could repent and to aspire? What did you learn about life that you could aspire to or ask for or act on? Now, all I'm saying is even though that I'd grown up in the church, this kind of stuff often was brand new to me. I never thought I could really study the Bible on my own or learn for myself. But as I learned, you can understand the Bible. And this, for me, was a truth as revolutionary as Martin Luther in his 95 Theses. The heart of the Reformation rests on the fact that God's word is not chained to the pulpit with truths that only a professional clergy person can understand. Luther and others believed that the central message of the Bible was clear enough for any believer to read and understand. So if we're going to believe the Bible, then we must accept its authority in every area of your life. So ask yourself two questions. Do I truly believe the Bible? And second, if so, what difference does it make in my life? Every Christian needs to think about that because we live in days of spiritual anarchy where society has rejected the word of the Lord. The question is, will, are we willing to be men and women <clears throat> under authority who do what we are told even when it's not popular? May God help us to answer yes and show the world by how we live that we truly believe what the Bible says. May God bless you in that journey, and may God bless you in your individual study of his word. Until next week, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.